Blog Talk Radio. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. I'm winging it in no time. Sort of wing and Motown Radio, uh, the worst part of the, I should say, hashtag worst part of the off-season edition. Um, this is Kyle, your boy Kyle, over here in Grand Rapids. Tonight we have got JJ, we've got Peter, and we've got Prashant. Everybody is here. We're all excited. We're ready to talk about um, the treasure trove of topics we have because there's a lot going on um, in that I'm, that is about as hard, about as thick as sarcasm I will lay on that statement. Uh, gentlemen, how are we feeling tonight, today, this morning? Doing good, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, that's good. good. That's good. JJ, I'm are you alive? Having, I'm in the midst of having the greatest night ever. All right, par for the course, as always. That's great <laughs> news. Um, let's just jump right out and get into the, uh, the I guess, the the topic du jour, or I guess topic of the next probably month or so, um, which is the Larkin deal. Uh, Dylan Larkin signed a uh, a, a non-bridge deal uh, somewhat recently. That is that five-year uh, deal worth about 6.1 per year, 6.1 million per year, I should say. Um, so that basically just locks them up. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of, you know, the Red Wings haven't kind of done this with a player like, you know, with a prospect in a long time. I can't even really recall the last one they did that with, I think. Um, so I guess the immediate reaction is kind of like a sigh of relief. Uh, they got it done. Um, but I think for some, maybe uh, it was a little unexpected. Maybe some people feel that just north of $6 million per year might be a little too much Uh and then there's the other side of the argument where nobody cares. Just get them signed, get them locked up, and let's uh, let's hit the ground running. Um, I want to open up the table here uh, to you guys and kind of we can discuss this deal a little bit. Um, let's just roll the ball the uh, the ball over to JJ first. I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with the deal. I think it fits in pretty well with uh, with expectations. I'm. Confused about why Larkin took, like, because it seems in the way that you get players to to sign deals like this, like he didn't get basically any lockout protection. He actually got a little bit lockout exposed by this. Um, there's only one year where any of that is paid in signing bonuses, and that is this year. Uh, he got a million dollars up front. But the rest of that is there's no signing bonuses the rest of the way. Um, next year his salary is seven. His his actual salary is seven million. The year after that it drops down to four and three quarters, and then the year after that, 2021-22, which is I I think the most likely lockout year, it jumps back up to six point seven five. 
before going down to five and a quarter in the one UFA year that we bought, um, or that Ken Holland bought, uh, that also has the no trade clause, which it does kind of help. Like if I don't know, like if if shit really hits the fan, he will be, be he'll he'll be getting paid, you know, about nine hundred thousand dollars less than his cap hit, which does make it slightly more attractive if it needs to get traded, but, I mean, if shit has hit the fan for Dylan Larkin at that age, at that point where that's a consideration, then, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I am i can't imagine a situation in which that, that matters. But all in all, um, you know, I, I liked Peter's argument about uh, how a bridge deal would have made more sense um, in terms of kind of hedging against the future because we still don't know exactly what Dylan Larkin is going to turn out to be. Um, but if he turns out to be like basically the most likely uh, situation in terms of the the realm of possibilities for him, then this deal is, is just fine. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, just kind of going off what you said, I'm I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm happy with the deal. Um, and honestly, when it comes down to how the actual dollars and cents break down, uh, you know, on the players end, um, I just as a, a, a selfish fan, I I don't really care. Um, but I mean, it is kind of a strange structure for him. But I mean, that's I mean, whatever. He's if he's happy and he signed it, then he signed it. Um, I think that perhaps the bridge deal might have made more sense for sure in terms of kind of just getting the the best value. Um, but I think everybody is, is kind of fine with just uh, taking the, you know, taking the, the, the riskier road over the, you know, the safer road in this situation for sure. Um, you know, that's, I think most. I would. I'm not gonna say all fans, but I think the vast majority would are fine with it. Um, and then there's that one little nice little two percent of the fan base, and just you can't really get through to it all. <laughs> um, so uh, for chance, uh, I mean, you were kind of you kind of had that argument as well. The bridge deal might have made a little bit of a uh, little bit more sense. Um, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit more um, on that on that on that front. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I initially favored the bridge deal simply for what JJ said and that you still don't really have a good sense of what, you know, Dylan Larkin is. But at the same time, you know, when we globally talk about handing out contracts, we often criticize general managers for giving contracts for past performance and not necessarily, you know, crediting them for paying for what they predict to be good future performance. And so, you know, like you just said, if it's in the scenario where, you know, Larkin puts it all together and becomes a top 20, top 15 center in the league, then, yeah, $6.1 million to steal over five years. For me personally, looking at where he's settled out just from an advanced statistics perspective, his offensive game is definitely a first-line player. His defensive game is nowhere near that, um, at least by what's been measured. And so, for example, from a – using goals above replacement from uh, Manny Perry's model, uh, Larkin was the fifth worst forward in the NHL last year when it came to just defensive goals against 
uh, or goals above replacement. And there's a lot of different components and factors that go into that, but basically what drove it is that when he was on the ice, opponents had really high quality shots against the Red Wings. And, you know, when it comes down to attribution of how that all shelled out, I'm not really sure, but the fact of the matter is his defensive game does scare me where I don't think he's like a Datsuk Zetterberg type player where they have just such a substantial impact and uh, on control of shots when they're on the ice. And I'm more worried that he's becoming almost like a Thomas Manning type player where you throw him out there. He's instant offense, but at the same time, there is absolutely no defense. And so that was the only reason why I favored a bridge is that I wanted to see where that defensive game moved because, you know, he is 22 years old and obviously has, you know, a ton of time left to develop that. But that's my only pause, and that's maybe where I would have favored a bridge just to make him prove it. Yeah, for sure. That's a that's a good that's a good side to the to the argument, I think. And I, and I just to kind of play devil's advocate. I mean, I would certainly, I guess, I would rather uh, pay a kid who has those big offensive numbers and just take a little bit more of a risk just to pay for the offense and then hope that he can you know hone his defense a little bit. Um, I think if I were if I were a betting man, you know, and I were to ask. You know, if I were, and I were, I was forced to pick one. You have to have uh, the the guy who has the offense, but his defense is going to need work. Uh, I would take him over the guy who has defense, but his offense needs work, um, just because I always feel like, uh, well, I, the, this team has always taken the guy who wants the def, you know, the, the the those strong defensive players or you know whatever. Um, so. Uh, what, Peter, what about you? How, I mean, how do you feel? I know we already talked about how you feel about the bridge deal, but you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely glad, like, like with uh, what Prashant said, because I know when we were talking, like, kind of after I had finished the article, you know, I forget exactly what we were saying, but you know, like one of our one of one of the things we were talking about is that we weren't saying that a bridge deal would be like better in terms of like 80 20 or something like that i think we were more like 60 40 like roughly around there um so you know i, I still I, I still think that that would have been the better option but i don't want anybody listening or anybody who read my article to think that i i think this is going to be like you know like an abdicator type contract i think at its worst it's not going to be anywhere close to that i mean i think he's still going to be a good player i think he's still going to bring a lot to the team um i think it, just in terms of if you're looking for like if you're trying to find like what's the optimal contract, I do think a bridge deal was a little better. Um, one thing I want to I want to bring up that's actually almost kind of arguing against myself, just because you know for our listeners, I want to make sure we we kind of round out the conversation. Um, you know some of the arguments that people have made about you know why they think that there's a better chance than than I I thought of him improving to the point where he is going to be worth that is. You know, I, I think they're I think they're valid points. Uh, for example, we we keep hearing these quotes about what a hard worker he is. How he's I think the quote was like, you know, he's on the ice thirty minutes longer than everybody else at practice. Um, you know, we know that his second year he had a lot of trouble because people kind of pegged, okay, he's just going to come in the zone really fast with speed, and so we need to shut that down. And he worked really hard on becoming more well rounded on the offensive zone, and we've seen that payoff. You know, so I think there's definitely an argument to be made that, you know, because of his work ethic that, you know, that he could improve 
the deficiencies that he, ha- that he has and, you know, improve the, uh, you know, the positive things that he has too. Um, and then also there's the argument, you know, we're going to have more high-end talent for him to play with. He has definitely kind of established himself as more of a playmaker than a scorer, although obviously he can score too. And so, you know, if he can, you know, if Zadina is everything that we hope he is, you know, him, him setting up Zadina, but, but then at the same time, you have to remember they might not play on the same line. You know, he might, Zadina might be on a different line. Um, You know, Larkin and Zadina might not mesh well for whatever reason. So yeah, like, I mean, the short version is I, I do think that a bridge deal would have been better, but I, I don't think that this is like, oh, my God, it's a terrible deal. Like, I think the worst case is it'll be okay. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm with you on that. And then I guess we, the, 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 the perfectly, as you were talking about being on the ice for 30 minutes longer than everybody else, that uh, acts as a perfect segue into yeah. what would be your transition does into the transition, um, you know, mm-hmm. talking about, Henrik Zetterberg and, uh, you know, all the rumors, you know, if you're a Red Wings fan, you're, you know what we're talking about. It's been a rough season for him, uh, allegedly, um, with those back flare-ups or issues with the back or maybe a lot of uncertainty going forward uh, about how much gas is left in the tank, if there is any. Um, you know, does that kind of set the stage for, uh, you know, a new core of leadership and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans, and a lot of maybe non-fans would probably point towards, well, I mean, if you're going to be a team like this and you're going to be rebuilding or whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever word you want to coin, you know, whatever's going on here, um, you know, do you hand the reins over to a guy like uh, Dylan Larkin? Um, and it, 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 that, it, it seems like, like it could be likely, but um at the same time, it's not something I would be surprised if they went with another guy. You know, if they went with a guy like the Kaiser, or they went with a guy like Advocator, um, or hell, maybe they go with a guy like they think. I don't know. Like you know, maybe they go really. You know, maybe they they feel Nyquist is that kind of a guy. Um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I think it would be great to see Larkin kind of get that that opportunity as a young player, um, a homegrown talent and all that, but really when it comes down to it, the captaincy thing to me has been, um, it's, it's kind of lost. Um, I guess it's a lure to me because it's, you know, we had Steve Eisenman and then we had Nick Lidstrom. And then when it all came down to those, you know, when the team, when the chickens finally came home to roost, it was all handed down to Zetterberg and, you know, he was on the butt end of everything, his career as well. Um, and I just kind of realized that I'm not as worried about captaincy as much as I am just putting it in the hands of a couple, a group of players who can kind of keep a really good nucleus. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, if I were, were a, an actual, you know, bet man, I would say that they're probably going to pick a guy like Advocator if, if, if Zetterberg is to, to stand down. But at the same time, unless Zetterberg retires, uh, like straight up, I don't think they're going to be given away to see anyways because they even you know if Sederberg was out injured, I don't they they never gave away his they don't do that so as long as Henrik Zetterberg I think has a contract I I don't I don't know how that how it's going to work out with the team or how they're actually going to work with it but uh, I don't know that's just kind of yeah, how I, I it, feel with it but it's, it's a weird topic I think it ties in really well. Um, 
and it, it kind of works out mm-hmm. to it because I'll, I'll step back to the the Larkin contract for a second to kind of tie this all together. <clears throat> in that, what we've done so far is is looked a lot at like the the, the, the kind of analytics and the science of of the Larkin deal. Um, but there is another piece of the consideration the uh, and the value of it in that Ken Holland is the general manager of the Red Wings and the Red Wings themselves as an entertainment venue um, have to sell the team still. And a bridge deal for Larkin, while it would have made basically analytical hockey sense, um, you know, looking for, for ways to get market efficiency and that's the way that you are going to be able to uh, succeed in a competitive NHL nowadays um, from a, a fan perspective, especially a casual fan perspective, bridging Larkin would have looked like a, a huge loss uh, for for Ken Holland. Like, there is no better slam dunk than this kid should be the next captain. Uh, we are currently not in a, in a better timeline than... Henrik Zetterberg is going to be the captain of this team until he is until this, his contract runs out in several years, uh, because he's he's not retiring. He's not going to flat out retire. Um, any talk of of that is I, I don't understand how that could come up unless the league changes something that's going to suddenly be able to force it, and that doesn't make sense either. So. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a fantastic point. They're they're players for the time being, and they they literally go without. You know, they don't have a captain on the ice, but they've got the the A's out there. That it all makes perfect narrative sense that as soon as Zetterberg's contract is over, that is exactly when Dylan Larkin on his non-expiring bridge deal, basically uh, non-expiring non-bridge deal. Steps in and, and takes over that C and is is ready to to basically be that nucleus that that core that that Kyle talked about. So I think everything is is basically set up for the storybook and it's set up to sell to the the casual fan uh, who does I, I think care more about the how, the the sanctity of the C probably a little bit more than I do. Uh, because yeah, literally, it's the guy who gets to talk to the refs, and right now I kind of don't want Larkin talking to the refs because he spent the last couple of years doing that a little bit too much anyway. So mm-hmm. it it works out. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's uh, narratively and and you know, kind of the the humanities version to balance out the the sciences version is is it all makes uh, a lot of sense from a sales perspective. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It definitely does. Uh, and, I mean, that is something that Ken Holland absolutely needs to, uh, to, I mean, for his sake, I guess, keep in mind is that he is walking a very thin line or on very thin ice, uh, you know, no pun intended. It, it's just that there's – he needs to market this team all the while, trying his best to make sure it doesn't completely sink. Um, which I don't know if you will be able to to, to do, but um, are there any other thoughts there? I mean, I know this is a pretty cut and dry like topic, you know, when it comes to captaincy and young players and transitioning them into leadership roles. I mean, 
you know, are there any other thoughts there between you, Peter, or you, Prashant? No, nothing really to add. I mean, I was going to, you know, echo JJ's point just that, you know, at the end of the day, that contract includes a lot more than just what you're seeing on the ice. Um, and yeah. I think that's part of the reason why they elected not to bridge him is there is going to be that expectation there at some point during that contract that he doesn't spend the captaincy. For sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I mean, it, it, yeah. Do you have anything else to, to add there, Peter? Oh, just real quick, because um, I was listening. I was listening to other people talk about it. And they brought up something that um, I think we we kind of talked about, but like a little bit, um, like maybe not directly. Is let's just. I mean, I, I know this is something we could talk a little more about, but like, like just for the sake of discussion, let's just say Henrik Zetterberg has played his last game for the Red Wings. I mean, obviously, as a fan of his, I hope that's not true. But just for the sake of discussion, let's say that that's true, right? So he still has what two more two more years, right? So he'd be on LTIR for two more years. Um, so I thought it was an interesting question of if like like assuming it's not something where like he has to. You know, maybe if he sits out for a while, a little bit later in the season, maybe the second half of the season, he can try to try to play again. You know, if he's like, okay, it's like I, I just I'm not going to be able to play anymore. I'm done, but I'm going to go on LTIR rather than retire because of the cap recapture and all that stuff. Um, so I thought it was an interesting question of like, do you do you still consider like that he is the captain in terms of you wait until his contract is up before? you name the next captain. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of an interesting question. I'm not even 100% sure how I feel about it because I can definitely see both sides. So I was just wondering what you guys thought. That was kind of what I, I think it on is, it with, you, with my point. It's, okay, yeah. 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 As long as he's around, I think they're going to, they're going to withhold the captain, the, the seat. I think as long for, like, so let's say this season, next season, and the next, they're going to hold on to it. I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, from my perspective, if yeah, three years, not two. I'm sorry. Zetterberg is on L. If Zetterberg is on LTIR on an active contract, and the C is on somebody's on somebody else's chest, they have stripped the C from Zetterberg, and they're not yeah. going to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, I mean, you think just about that, that happening to anybody. Right, like I mean, you don't want to make it blatantly obvious, like you know several teams have cut it close with just making it blatantly obvious or exploiting LTIR for their reason. Yeah. I mean, if you strip Zetterberg of the captaincy, the optics of that to the NHL is you never expect this guy to play. And at that point, I don't know how much more investigating goes into his back and things like that. So I think yeah. for optics, you just leave it alone. Yeah. Unless something, like, if something fantastic happens, like Larkin ends up winning a Conn Smythe while Zetterberg's on LTIR yeah. in the very last year of his deal, or yeah. right before I think, that happens, then maybe you can you can make a, a narrative yeah. reason to do that. But yeah, it, I would, you'd have to, you'd need a fantastic yeah. thing to happen for that. It would okay. have to be one of yeah. those things where Zetterberg. It would have to be where Zetterberg kind of came out and was like, "Hey." This is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like they held a news conference and Zetterberg went up to the podium and said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, they're not taking the away from me. I just, I'm giving it away. I want them to take it. It would be one of those situations. Um, and I know that it would certainly be the same. I mean, I, when I think about it, you know, if, if, what if Lidstrom were in his shoes and they, you know, did the same thing to him, you know, it's just, that's just how it is. But anyways, yeah. it's, it's, it's a topic that, you know, it's, it's, 
for some people it's very touchy. For some it's like whatever, just do whatever. Um, but I think that we can all agree that as long as Henrik Zetterberg is, you know, as long as there's ink on the contract and he, there's the contract is there, whether he's playing or not, he's going to have that C and the team is not going to just pull it from him and put it on someone else. I would be very surprised if that happened. Um, so I guess moving on to talking, speaking of Zetterberg, um, you know, he's not the only guy who's really facing the end. Uh, I mean, if there's anybody who has a more imminent end, I think in, on this team, it's Nick Cronwell, um, who it sounds like he's, this is it. Like this is going to be his last hurrah here. Uh, his last season, he's got one year left. Um, and I mean, what he's going to be 38 at the end of the year, I believe. Uh, his knees are held together by paper clips and chewed up bubble gum <laughs> or whatever you want, however you want to say it. Uh, Cronwall last season, uh, I mean, he, I, I, he wasn't terrible. I mean, I, I mean, you know, he's as good as he could be, but I mean, I think this is that we, I think that most of us could agree that this is probably the end for him. Like this is going to be his last, his last go of it. Um, because I just, I feel like he kind of, he kind of sees it too. You know, he's a humble guy. Uh, I think he would see it as the team is transitioning. They need to start shuffling in different players and maybe he just, you know, sets it aside and spends time with his family now. So, um, I don't know if there's anybody who actually disagrees with that or if there is like a different side to this argument. So I guess if anybody has anything to say in terms of that, JJ, maybe you do. I don't know. I know that you kind of threw this. I don't know if you threw this idea out there for the, for the rundown uh, for this episode, but I mean, I think most fans would, would have to agree that I think Ron Wall, maybe this is it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question that that Cronwall is like exactly like you said. I think he realizes that he's he's done and he's trying to go out with stuff. More to the the concept of like I still haven't figured out, and I don't know if I'm not going to be able to do it this year or or this episode, let alone this year. Um, but I mean, it just makes me start thinking about where Cronwall like kind of fits in the lore and if I'm like because it always felt like mm-hmm. I maybe underappreciated Cronwall but I don't know if after the last few years I can I can get the the rosy feeling back just yet because like I really loved him as that solid second pairing guy and I really love that there was always the question of like well if it weren't for you know Lidstrom and Rafalski playing above him you know, I I think Cronwall was a one D that was just being who's able to play two D because the Red Wings' uh, depth was so great back then, and like that kind of like that question never really got answered for for me because by the time Lindstrom and Rafalski went away and and Cronwall became the one D, he was no longer in his prime anymore. So it's it's yeah. just so weird for me like to to figure out. Where exactly to properly place? Like, am I still criminally underrating Nick Cronwall? Am I getting to the point where I like I want to overrate him? And I I don't know when that's going to get answered. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I don't know if it will get answered, um, because I think the bar has been set so high 
And I think the same thing's going to happen with Zetterberg, honestly. Um, not for me. I, Zetterberg will still always be up there as one of my favorite players. But for a lot of fans, I think Zetterberg is going to go down as one of the more underrated players the Red Wings have ever had. Um, and that is simply because he is, was the one who took over the captaincy after literally two of, two of the, the you know, three best players the, the team has ever had. Um, so, I don't know. Cronwall, for me, I, I've always liked him. I've never been nuts about him. Um, but as a player, for what he, what he was when he was in his prime, he was, he was a great defenseman. Um, I, I mean, but, you know, there was always, there was always Lidstrom. There was always Rafalski. And, you know, there was, that was, you know, that was like the standard. So I feel like maybe he got like the unfair, brink, you know, the butt of it all. Maybe he got the raw end of the deal. But, I mean, when you look at him, I mean, you know, he's got an Olympic gold medal. He's got a world championship gold medal. You know, he's a, tr- he's a triple gold winner. So, I mean, he's a great defenseman, uh, or he was a great defenseman. Uh, he was, a, you know, he was an MVP at one point in the world championships in 2006. He was the first all-star in the AHL. But I don't know if I'll ever actually believe that he is I don't know if he if I'll ever feel that way for him just because, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I he was always overshadowed for me. I mean, I'm going to make a bold statement in that. There was probably a four- or five-year period in the NHL where he was a top-five defenseman in the NHL, and I think he got overshadowed. I'd say, like, if you're wow, talking, yeah. like, between 2008, 2009, and, like, 2011, 2012, I mean, by war standards, the dude was sixth among defensemen in war in the entire NHL in that time frame. So I like, I think you have a legitimate argument that he was at least a top ten, if not potentially a top five defenseman in the NHL, and just you didn't see it, you didn't hear it because of Lindstrom and Rafalski. Um, so, and then I think the knee injuries and kind of dragging on his career, just like you said, probably, you know, tars up that image a bit, but I do think he is one of the most underappreciated defensemen we've had in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean he's been he's been loved for probably the the silliest part of his game, which was you know being the Cronwall thing, um, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which will forever. At some be a point, I'm going to look debate. back. I always thought that like Brad Stewart really solidified things for Nick Cronwall and now the more I think about it, the more I think that maybe it was Nick Cronwall was so good he dragged Brad Stewart yeah, into yeah, being exactly a respectable second pair defenseman. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's exactly what it good. is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that, I, I mean, I will always think that he's a great player, but I will think that he, like Krishan like really just kind of summed it up really well whether you look at it analytically or not, he was overshadowed, uh, you know, for his, his time, uh, you know, that's, and that's just, it's unfortunate, but uh, I'm sure the team will, you know, I mean, he'll go down as, you know, one of the, the, the cornerstone players that kind of turned the, uh, like, you know, when he came into the NHL, when it was like one Oh five Oh six, uh, you know, he didn't play. I think he only played like 30 games that season. But you know, when he actually made that full transition to a full-time NHLer, um, he was always a consistent uh, driving force for the team. Uh, but I think he will. Oh, I think so. He, he should at least go down as the number. 
He should at least get a manhole cover at the LCA. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Know if, I don't know if he will. I, I don't think he will. <sighs> yeah. Hmm. I, and I'm just. I'm. I don't know. I, maybe I'm talking out of my ass there. But. <laughs> I like. Yeah. I don't. Know anyway. I, yeah, I don't know. They're gonna rotate him yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I don't think they have any blank ones, I, so they're just gonna add a bunch more until it's like nothing but manhole covers. Maybe. <laughs> I'd that be okay could, with that. Yeah, that could. Yeah, sure. Why not? That'd be fun. <laughs> Maybe they'll give them. Uh, there's a joke to be made, but I, I can't find it. So, anyways, we could just kind of move <laughs> along. <laughs> sure. Maybe uh, the entire yeah. wall. <laughs> you put it vertical. Yay! There you go. Give them a give them a cron wall. Yeah, there we go. And uh, it will it will always it will all it will always meet your rate. At the neck. I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> the top 25 under five is a series that we run every off season. We're running it right now. We are in the thick of it. Uh, I believe we are about to be um, in the top 15 here um, shortly. Um, and this is just something we're going to kind of talk about, uh, just touch on shortly because um, this year was a little different. We uh, we kind of turned to the community to, 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 to make the rankings instead of, us just kind of doing a consensus ranking of the top 25 players in the Red Wings organization who are under 25 years old. Um, I think now it's, it's, it's a little strange because now you've got players who are starting to get older and, you know, they're no longer uh, eligible for it. Um, and I was looking, you know, when I was putting everything together, I was like, oh, my God, these guys aren't a part anymore. Where, that, where the hell did that time go? Where, where did that go? Um, <laughs> I always I always forget how old Nick Jensen is. Like every time I look at his <laughs> stats or anything, I'm like, "Jeez!" Like I thought this thing, like you, you know he's like you look at him like he's a prospect, but no, he's just actually a guy who, you know, should be like in his fifth year in the NHL at this point. But um, it, we're kind of right now as as it stands, uh, the top 25 going from 25 to 17. Uh, 25 is Jack Adams, Axel Holmstrom, Alec Regula, Christopher N., Philip Larson, Jared McIsaac, Gustav Lindstrom, Dominic Turgeon, Keith Petrozelli, and then uh, Billy Sarjarvi. And uh, at this point where everybody will most likely be listening, uh, Giovanni Smith is next on the list. Um, I don't think any – like the ranking that I've looked at, it, it's been pretty – I mean, you know, these are – it's so hard to kind of rank these players, and I'm pretty sure anybody out there knows who uh, one, two, three, four, and five are going to be. Um, but it is uh, an interesting – I mean, I assume most of you guys have seen the, uh, the ranking in our little spreadsheet. Has there been anything that's kind of popped out to you so far that maybe you disagree with or you think a player has been ranked maybe a little too low or something like that? Um, you know, what have, you, what have your general thoughts been um, – I think for me personally, uh, I think it, it's really interesting to see um, in our ranking uh, the amount of, like, I guess, because the Red Wings are kind of in a weird, the big one for me is the goaltenders. And the two that, uh, you know, are already up there are Keith Fetchazelli and uh, uh, Philip Larson. And on our ranking, those are the only two. Um, which was very surprising to me because I thought there was at least there was going to be more votes for Jorn Van Pottelberg or whoever. 
Um, is there any other standouts to you guys possibly that, that you might you might think uh, would be uh, something maybe you thought a player would be a little bit ranked a little bit higher, maybe ranked a little bit lower? Uh, Peter, what about – Peter, we'll, we'll throw it over to you. And this is yeah. a general prospect kind of talk. You don't have to talk on yeah, sure. 505, but, yeah. I'm um, – this year I was definitely – uh, really glad that we did the the we opened it up to the community because um, I know for me I've I've always had well not always I think I I think I only did it last year um, I remember it was it was kind of difficult because some of the players you know like 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 let's say like uh, Tyler Batuzzi right you know so he has played in the NHL he's done pretty well in the NHL um, but somebody else you know, could have a higher ceiling, but they haven't proven anything in the NHL. They've just been very good in like a lower league. And so for me, it was always interesting trying to figure out, you know, kind of how to balance that. So um, I also thought the goalie goalie stuff was interesting. I think, I think one of the, one of the players, I'm going to pick one that I think if we look back in a year or two, we're going to be like, why was that guy so low is I, I think that there's, if he gets a chance and if he, if he proves what he's, seem to be capable of i think that the 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 last player to go out billy sariarvi um i think he could be a pretty good defenseman in the nhl i think we could look back on and say like wow he was below these guys um but at the same time it's so it's so hard with these guys because you see their potential you see how good they are in a different league and sometimes it just does not translate at all so i think uh sariarvi in particular and i think definitely the you know some of our defensemen uh, there's there's a few defensemen that we have that have not been ranked yet, and I think our listeners can probably guess who they are. And I think, you know, for me making my list, I know that it was definitely kind of hard to, to put them in. Well, I, I guess it wasn't hard to put them in order, but then it was kind of hard to, like, figure out, like, if there are players between them, you know, some forwards or, uh, you know, the order for that. So for me, that that's the most interesting thing right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Star Jarvie is one of those guys where – uh, at one point, I was really, really high on him. I still think he could turn out to be a really good player, but uh, I can't start to form an opinion on him, you know, an actual sentient opinion on him until the team gets him some minutes, and that is right. something they apparently cannot do. So um, <laughs> that's the that's the big thing. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I don't know how much you kept up on it, but I know that you know there's obviously a lot of talk that you can, you know, you can riff on with, with prospects and stuff like that. I mean, is there anything, you know, outside of the obvious uh, subjects like, you know, Zadina and Rasmussen who are coming in and uh, stuff like that. Um, a, a big name that pops out to me that you might, you might be able to talk a lot, a lot about, or two at least, uh, Svechnikov and Chalowski, because I think those are the two, um, those are the two, like wild cards for that are in terms of our top prospects because I don't know exactly what we've got there and it's kind of difficult to know. Uh, so is there anything maybe that might pop out to you in terms of uh, in prospects? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with the, uh, with the existing list that's been released. I'll definitely say that I was shocked at how low Philip Larson was. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. he had a monster year, like, 940 yeah, save percentage, one six goals against average. Um, so I was really surprised that, um, you know, after that kind of season, he would still be as low as he was. He was 21. So that was a little bit mm-hmm. surprising. We'll see how he looks 
you know, this year, but he really looks like the, you know, a guy who could, could be that future prospect that the wings are trying to get to. And then the other right. guy I think was ranked far too low was Jared McIsaac. And I think a lot of that has to do with just people not seeing him at a higher level. Um, but I mean, the guy yeah. was really, really good this past year was a fringe first round talent um, that happened to fall to the wings, just like literally everybody did this year. And honestly, yeah. I think he's right. You know, he's probably right behind Ronick for me in terms of the wings best defense prospects. And so I think it's just yeah. probably a lack of seeing him and being a little bit of lack of familiarity. Um, but I do think, his, yeah. you know, after seeing more of him this year, people will start to pick up on how good he is. Taurus Vechnikov and Chalowski, I'm honestly surprised Vechnikov's name wasn't already, uh, wasn't already released. Um, I think yeah. I have really soured on what I think he's going to be. And this is like a, a nebulous concept that really hasn't been proven, defined in any way. But he's a guy to me that I think when he had his big year in the AHL two years ago when he posted like 50-plus points in 70 games, that's the year when I would have wanted to see him get a shot. Like, whether it's yeah. a handful of games or maybe start the next season up for a little bit. Um, I think the dude completely lost his confidence and has gotten frustrated. This is all anecdotal with no inside information whatsoever. But I don't think you're going to get anything from him remotely close to what the expectations were when he was drafted. Um, yeah. And for me, he's, like, fallen all the way down my list mentally. Solowski, on the other hand, I still think is, is starting to make me a little bit more of a believer, but I'm still not ready to put him as a as a lock to make the NHL. And I know I've been more yeah. sour on him than most everyone. I think he has certainly done better. Um, and this past year, you know, he was actually – you know, very good uh, at times um, the WHL, and I think he did. He did have a really good season, and we'll just continue to see how he looks. You know, in the AHL, um, mm-hmm. to see if he can really continue to make that transition. But I think his stock rise, Svechnikov has, has bottomed out. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you there. Svechnikov is one of those guys where he's more of a cerebral player. And honestly, when I I I really did kind of like you said, sour on him when I watched the, the Calder play the Calder Cup playoffs uh, this, this past postseason, And it just like, I've never seen, I, I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if he, there's just something going on, but man, he really just did not look like that to- type of tenacious player that I saw when he first came into like training camp uh, out of being drafted and stuff like that. And I, obviously I hope we're all wrong and all that. Um, and I also agree with you on Philip Larson. I, the numbers that he put up in the USHL are staggering, especially for the amount of playing time he did actually get for such a young kid. Um, I guess one last thing that I can, uh, I can add is that uh, I think I am extremely shocked. Uh, and that maybe this is all just because of, you know, the stats, but like, and you guys, you guys will see later down the line, how high Rasmussen actually clocked in at. Like he is like, and and I guess it goes to Sean. I mean, he has been. I, I think it's one of those things where we're all happy to have been wrong because I remember that when we drafted him, it was one of those like WTF moments um, where we all kind of like screamed. But uh, 
I mean, everything is kind of showing up that he might end up being something that could be really useful. Um, hopefully he can find his stride as a, as a player, you know, uh, at, you know, even strength. And then uh, I, I thought he looked great at, uh, at the World Junior Showcase, and the same with McIsaac. I'm right there with you with McIsaac as well. I think he's going to be a, a, a really uh, special player uh, in the coming years. Uh, JJ, I know you love prospects. Do you have any anything anything to add? Uh, just the Evgeny Sveshnikov thing. I I think I I just want to like, like call him like Pushpin Yakupov. Because he's not like quite, he's like the poor man's nail Yakupov, uh, in terms of the hype versus what what he's turned into since then. So there's that. And then I think in the the conversation like that Peter had about how it's there's always an interesting dynamic between uh, how good the player is now versus their ceiling and and how that that plays in a ranking. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Dominic Turgeon is in there literally just because of his famous name. Like, I don't know why he's even on this, like, in the top 25. Because he's, I mean, he's not really that good, and he's not really projected to be that good. So, like, he ended up uh, above a, a bunch of guys. Like, I wouldn't mind him at 25, because, like, hey, who the hell is Jack Adams anyway? But that's it. Yeah. And it's it's like I think, totally I mean, think, and maybe I'm just picking yeah. on Dominic Terjean for no good reason, but no, not at all. I, I don't think. I'm pretty sure, actually, he fell in the rankings from last last offseason. Um, and I think, honestly, I, I'm with you on Terjan. He's not, he's not a very exciting player, but before he did get hurt in the AHL, he was playing very well for what he is, uh, you know, which is, I mean, he's nothing more than a bottom six player. That's just what he is. Maybe a top six AHL, bottom six NHL. Uh, so I'm with you on that. I, you know, he does. He doesn't. He's not his dad, and he never will be. Uh, so that's top 2525. Again, that will continue uh, throughout the rest of the uh, off season up until the first game of preseason, um, which the gate uh, the day of the first game of preseason will be when the number one pick uh, falls, um, which I'm sure you all have no idea who that will be. Um, so I guess now kind of talking a little bit more about the lineup um, and we can, like I, we could make an entire show about the lineup and rosterbation and all that stuff. Um, now that things are starting, the signings are done. We're good to go. We're going into camp. Um, the wings have some cap room. You know, we're, what do we, like the, the big topic is how the heck do we get these young kids into um into a spot in the NHL. And then another another big topic, which I don't know if we ha- still have figured out yet, is the Zadina, uh, the Zadina theory, uh, if you will. Um, what is going to happen there? Is he going to the AHL? Is he staying in the NHL? Or does he have to go back to the Q or something like that? I don't know if we actually did ever get, like, a clear answer on that, did we? Anybody? The NHL is very confident that he is going to be AHL eligible, and I think they're willing to fight uh, with the CHL over this. So I'm going to move forward with the assumption that he is not only AHL eligible, but he's AHL bound now. Yeah, and I think uh, Prashant touched on this uh, before, that um, you know if this is the case, then 
give them nine games and then get them into the AHL and let them, you know, let that slide happen, um, which I would be fine with. I'm totally cool with it. Um, unless, you know, of course he's coming up and he's just, you know, you already know that he is, he's meant to be there and, and, and it's something where he could actually make a big enough impact to, to push the team to another level. Um, for me, that's the big one. And then another, another big one is uh, defense. Uh, they have got to expedite uh players like uh, Philip Ronick. Uh They got to figure out what they're going to do with Joe Hickett. I mean, they got to, these are players that I think at this point where they're at right now in the AHL, spending more time there might actually be a bad thing for them. Um, I guess let, let, I'm going to roll the ball over to Prashant here with that, because I know that you, Prashant, you, you, you feel similarly in, in that regard that, Maybe keeping guys like Philip Lars, or I'm sorry, Philip Larson, uh, Philip Peronik, or you know Joe Hickett in the AHL, that might not be a, that might actually hurt the development as opposed to um, perhaps uh, benefit it. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with that, and there's no real data or evidence that really You're proves right, that yeah. that phenomenon exists. But my personal theory behind all of that is when you have the talented players who have the skill level to play in the, uh, in the NHL and you let them sit in the AHL for multiple years when potentially they're ready to advance. What I think happens is they start to develop habits or tendencies because they realize they can get away with doing something without having to put in that same level of effort. Potentially, you know that you can cut the corner here or you can make this pass in the AHL because there's a guy that's not going to pick it off or that you're going to win the skating race if you make this pinch because that guy is not faster than you in the AHL. And so I think you start to shape and mold your game to fit that, and then it makes the transition to the NHL that much harder when you eventually get there. I have no data or evidence that backs that up or supports that, but when you let guys like Ronick, Hickett sit there for multiple years, at a time when it really should have been advanced, I do wonder how much harder it is for them to break those habits in short stints and small minutes. And so that's why for sure. pushing probably for the last two years to try and clear house as much as they can. And the Wings did that. They bought out Xavier Roulette. I think that was a move that a lot of people weren't expecting them to do. They knew that they were probably parting ways, but I didn't think they would buy them out. Um, so there's an effort, but they really do need to clear space and as soon as they can. Yeah, I'm with you right there. Uh, uh, Peter, how do you feel about the about the the lineup and what 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 should be done? I assume that we would probably all have kind of a, a similar take here. But what about you? What's your what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, th- I think we kind of have uh, a situation where. Um, you know, you know, like for example, it, it seems like Michael Rasmussen is pretty much a lock to be in the NHL from from everything we've been told uh, from you know Custance and and the beat writers and uh, you know it seems like Rasmussen is is almost definitely going to be in the NHL. Obviously, we're going to see what happens with Zadina, um, and you know, like you were saying, like you guys were saying before, with Sechnikov, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of training camp he has. You know, does he? show that he's going to bounce back and kind of be more like what we hoped he would be and then be pushing for a spot. But at the same time, you know, just like you guys have been talking about, I think the, the more important as the more important side of this is going to be on the defensive side, because 
Um, you know, not to beat this drum too much, but I mean, I think I've been on record a lot that I think, you know, Joe Hickett should have been in the NHL last year. I think he proved himself in training camp when he was up for, well, he was up for one game when we went back down and then he was up for four games. And I think in that four game stint, he showed that he was definitely an NHL defenseman. Um, you know, he's, you know, uh, I, I uh, spoiler, I'm not going to say what ranking he is, but I, I wrote the article for the, the top 25 thing, you know, and in there I said, you know, he's, he's not like the defensive savior. You know, he's probably a four or five guy, probably a, a, a you know, a real good third pairing guy who can probably play second pair without killing you, you know, contribute on the power play. But at the same time, like a lot of our defensemen last year were not playing at an NHL level. And so just adding him would have made a positive difference, even if it wouldn't have changed everything. Um, so I'm really hoping that he, that he gets a chance to at least show if last year was a fluke, you know, if, you know, if he can play like he did last year, he's going to be an NHL defenseman and he should be there. Um, and then at the same time, you know, we got Hronik, like we said before, Chalovsky, I think, I think with Chalovsky, I think it definitely makes sense to give him some time in the AHL. Maybe, maybe he might mm-hmm. be like a later season call up or something like that. If if he shows he's ready, uh, you know, we talked before about Sariarvi. Um, we also have um, I haven't seen him play too much, but I know a lot of people are talking about Libor Sulak um, as somebody who yeah. could be ready. And because it, it, it's tough, because I think we were talking about this on the last show where. You know, my general feeling, like Prashant was saying, is like if a player is NHL ready, I want him to be in the NHL. At the same time, you can't have a defense that has four, you know, brand new defensemen. Like that just that, that, you know, that's too many. You know, you know, two or three is probably the most you can conceivably have without just kind of throwing them to the wolves. Uh, so I think we're in an interesting situation where we have a lot of these guys who are you know, not scheduled to be like NHL superstars, but they're probably going to be pretty good defensemen. And hopefully we can get some of them in the lineup this year to see what we have with them. Uh, so we don't run in the situation sure. where, you know, like we've had with some players in the past where it's like, okay, now it comes time where we have to decide what we're going to do with them. And they haven't really had a chance to, to show us if they're, you know, if they're what we hope or not. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we can yeah. get a little bit more uh, clarity on the defensive side. For sure, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I, I also, before I talk it over to JJ for this, I also kind of want, uh, if we're talking about the lineup, I want Martin Furk to watch Thomas Vanek like a hawk. That's what <laughs> I want. I want that to happen. Uh, uh, JJ, Please, yeah. I, I'm sure you. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you have plenty to say about this. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually just like to, to echo uh, precisely what uh, what Prashant said. I mean, I'd. I remember I wrote an article about this not too long ago uh, in regards to like exactly what he's talking about. Um, you know, you play two, and I I compared it to uh, to playing Halo at the time. Uh, you know, you play a video game on normal difficulty, and you play for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and you learn strategies that you absolutely master that difficulty level at. Um, and then you turn it up to the the highest difficulty level, and those same strategies that you've relied on, they simply don't work there because the mechanic, like, all the levels are the same, like maybe even the number of bad guys are the same, but the uh, the what you do does not work the same way. You don't have that same kind of time. You don't have it like if if the the part that you run this this level through is. 
you know, oh, I'm just going to grab a shotgun and, and sneak up behind this guy. Well, when that guy can take a shotgun blast to the face and not die, well, that kind of screws up the rest of your plan. That's kind of what what happens if you rely on a guy, like, if you leave a guy in the AHL too long. Now, obviously, you want him dominating at the AHL level to show NHL readiness because that is one way to do that. But if he's got any bit of – most defensive prospects are going to have some bit of development that they absolutely need to have it. They can't have it at the AHL level. Go ahead and get that out of the way. But, yeah, we need to be much more uh, cognizant of, you know, obviously we don't want to throw them to the wolves like like Peter said, but we don't want them to essentially be, like, throw them at the sheep either. Like, we want the, the yeah. appropriate level of difficulty for, for their development. Um, in terms of the way the lineup is going to shake out, I'm still concerned how they're going to find that $3.27 million for the cap space they need. Uh, they currently only have a 22-man roster. Um, that's with Franzen already basically being counted on LTIR. And, like, the simple yeah. solutions, like, oh, well, just get rid of Jensen. That doesn't clear any cap space. Uh, uh, like, especially if Talowski or Sulak take his place, that actually increases the total cap hit. Um you know, Witkowski only makes $750,000. If you waive FERC for Zadina, you're only clearing like $100,000. So uh, it it really does, it scares me more about Henrik Zetterberg. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, something's going to have to give there. And I, I just can't like really wrap my head around massaging how that's going to happen just yet. That's a that's a really good point. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not really great with the, the cap the capology, uh, as you will. Um, but if there's anything I think that I, I trust Ken Holland doing more than anything, aside from restricted free agent contract negotiations, uh, I think, I guess, managing the cap is probably one thing that he can do, even though he is so reckless with spending it, um, or was, or still, I don't know, whatever. But I, 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 I think there might be a, there has to be a plan already in place, but, who knows? Maybe this is the year where everything there. just goes crazy. <laughs> I know, so. Hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of we'll, we'll wrap up that 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 kind of that topic. Um, I think we all agree that we want to see Zadina and Rasmussen and the defensemen start moving in, but uh, the the big fat elephant in the room is you need to make this team, uh, you know, not only work. As a, yeah, yeah, as a team, obviously, but also uh, cap compliance and all that, that good stuff. So it'll be an interesting few weeks, uh, to say the least, um, which really is a great time to bring in Positivity Corner. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll go – you know what? No, I'm going to let – J.J., why don't you do your positive, your positive thought for Positivity Corner first? <laughs> Uh, I'm still geeked about the opportunity to watch Zadina. I love that kid's attitude, and I'm just, like, really, yeah. really excited. It, it's lasted this long, uh, that my happiness level for, for that. So, hooray. <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, uh, Peter. Yeah, um, I, w- I was thinking about this 
today and trying to come up with a good one. And I realized that obviously, you know, last year, especially like the second half of last year, just just ended up kind of being the slog of like, okay, we suck, we're bad, it's going to be awful. Um, and so, you know, this year I've been looking forward to the potential for even, you know, we're probably still going to be bad, but hopefully the potential of having some more excitement. And um, I think that nobody represents that than our returning fan favorite, Thomas Vanek. Uh, he is obviously a huge defensive liability, but I mean, I remember when he was on the Red Wings the first time, he would make passes that I, I, I didn't even think were possible. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping that he maybe gets a chance to play with somebody like Athena CU again, um, because, you know, the two of them really combine for some really entertaining plays. So if we're going to be, you know, not great, which it seems like is likely, at least I want it to be entertaining. And I think Thomas Vanek is definitely going to provide some of that. That's fantastic. I, I, I'm also excited to see Vanek play, and I hope that he waves his no trade clause as well. Uh, for Sam. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad we finally have something to write about that is not how bad the team is. Like, in one offseason, literally elevated our prospect pool from probably bottom 10 to probably top 10. And uh, that actually gives us something to write about that's not, hey, this team sucks, Ken Holland sucks, how do we fire him, which I feel like we've been doing for the last two and a half years. So I'm I'm just happy that other things in the world. That is also a very uh, good one. Uh, I think we all are welcoming this. Uh, it's nice to feel uh, overly uh, excited about prospects, I guess. Um, my uh, positivity corner doesn't really have anything to do with the team at all. Uh, it kind of does, I guess. Um, so, uh, Johan Franzen's wife has a blog, which I'm sure many of you know, maybe most of you have read it, um, and you already know Johan Franzen's uh, uh, story, and um, perhaps you already know his story with his family and how difficult it's been with him, uh, with his uh, his condition. Um, just, uh, uh, I guess, uh, right now it would be yesterday, but uh, maybe whenever. So, uh, August 20th, uh, that would be a Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Monday. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Johan Franzen's uh, wife uh, posted something on her blog uh, about a, a crayfish party um, with a real, what she called a magical sunset. And in that post uh, were a bunch of pictures that showed uh, the, the party, uh, pictures of her father, them on the, on the lake. And then there's one photo where you see the entire family and uh, Franzen is sitting, uh, Johan Franzen is sitting at the end of the table with uh, his entire family. And, uh, I thought that was really cool, and I thought that was fantastic to see because uh, every now and then I get really worried about that guy. So um, if you have the time, go look at it. It's FronsonResidence.com. You'll see it. It'll make you smile. You don't really get to see it. I mean, you, could, you, could, you know it's Fronson because he's got his big forehead back there, and he's got his mouth <laughs> full of food. You'll know him. Um, but <laughs> it's just cool to see him uh, hanging out with his family, and I hope that uh, he's doing well and that he's hanging out with his family more often and he's able to. Uh, so... Uh, let's let's move along now uh, to the reader questions, uh, which if you are new to uh, Wim Radio, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, so I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, <laughs> but 
JJ always does it. So, JJ, let's go ahead and get fired up with these reader questions, um, and uh, hopefully we can have some fun conversation here. All right, uh, Beer League Arbitration got the first two questions in, so I'll just start with the very first one. Uh, system versus personnel on the PK. We sometimes hear the player is good on the penalty kill. When I suspect the mean, he is played on the penalty kill. How much do you think an individual player actually impacts the success of a PK, and are there any players in the league you think really were or are exceptional? Prashanth, I want to hear your answer first. Well, that's because you and I wrote an article on this about two years ago. Um, it's still on the WIM website. I checked. It still exists. Uh, but essentially, almost all of the ability of a forward or defenseman to impact shots against was largely driven by did they play on the first unit or the second unit. And what I mean by that is if they were on the ice for the faceoff, more likely to have more shots against because given the new rules surrounding faceoffs, it's kind of steered towards allowing the or favoring the offensive uh, team, if you will. Whereas the players that would come on the ice after the puck was cleared or an on-the-fly shift, they actually started with the puck in the defense, or basically 200 feet from their net, and had more opportunities to disrupt zone entries and therefore had lower shots against. So. <clears throat> I don't know how much true penalty killing skill really exists, um, especially for forwards because the, the uh, correlation there was much higher. Um, but the ones that consistently served as outliers in the regression that JJ and I ran were your very elite five-on-five players. So guys like Datsuk, showed up really well, Bergeron showed up well, Marchand showed up well, basically significantly lower shots against than what you would have expected based on their zone starts. And so given that question, I don't know if there's a whole lot of talent, but if I'm going to bet on somebody, I'm going to bet on the guys that are elite at five on five. Yep. Yeah. That would be my yep. answer as well. Peter, you got anything to add? I would also say that it does. Not really. <laughs> I would also say All right. that. All right. As, as a non-analytic guy, that would definitely be a I, – I, I think that it also has a lot to do with the system, with the coaches running and stuff like that, which probably has a lot to do with what Prashant said. So. Yeah, there's a good debate to be had about whether or not – because it, it's obvious use really good players to get really good results. I mean, duh. Um, and, the, yeah, there's obviously the, the trade-off debate is those really good players only have so many minutes they can actually play, so do you want them playing those PK minutes? Um, and my personal answer is if you want the PK to be successful, then, yes, let them have them. Um, if you're going to be filling extra five-on-five five minutes with plugs, then just get rid of those plugs. Get better players all, right, all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um Next question. Uh, Travis Yeos had an interesting piece this week that showed the Red Wings consistently poor performance at three-on-three overtime. Given their shootout success, it seems they should just grind out a defensive five minutes of overtime and try to get the shootout as often as possible. Do you think that it's possible to successfully suppress a three-on-three overtime, or will the nature of three-on-three with NHL talent always result in the offense overpowering any defensive system? 
this is a really it was a pretty question. obvious like, answer. Honestly, he would all throw this out. Mm. Yeah. I, I go for it. Um, yeah. So I, 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 um, I, I had seen this headline on Twitter, but I hadn't read the article until I saw the question. So I took a look at the article uh, ahead of the, uh, you know, ahead of the show, and. Yeah, like I mean, the the numbers that he has are, are pretty pretty terrible for Detroit because um, it wasn't just one year; it was both years that Detroit was noticeably like the worst team by goal differential, by shot differential, expected goals. Um, their goaltenders, according to Yoster, their goaltenders have stopped only seventy seven percent of the shots at three on three, and the nor- the median is eighty six percent. So I mean, their goaltending is is letting them down there too, and. It's interesting because, like, most teams are doing two forwards, one defenseman, and it, it's tough. I mean, I don't, I don't really know if there's, like, a an easy answer. I mean, it seems like the two possibilities are you either just go all offense right off the bat and try to win it early, or you kind of just play, like, a more defensive style and try to, you know, like the, like the, the commenter said, you know, try to hold for, for the shootout. Um, and I think in terms of the like the systems he talks about or he, he asks about um, is it always seems like the advances in coaching are to kind of stifle the creativity and kind of take the fun out of the game. So I think it's it's entirely possible that we could get um, some shoot uh, not shoot out some uh, some three on three overtime strategies that you know attempt to kind of choke choke the fun out of it. Although at three on three it's it's going to be a lot harder to do that than. You know, even a four on four, I think. Yeah, I think coaching always comes down to finding ways to kill offense, no matter how how much you can uh, you can change things around to to overcome that. Uh, coaches find a way to to suck the fun out of it. In terms of what I want the Red Wings to do, uh, I want them to because I'm still firmly uh, of the belief that. A lot of those, like the three on, like the the awfulness at three on three lately, has been an opportunity for uh, kids to learn how to do better in the future. I think it's still a developmental thing, and I would rather watch them flame out spectacularly at three on three because they keep making dumb kid mistakes than try to shut down three-on-three three and just play five minutes to a shootout. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think uh, you should, yeah, put your best players out there and let them fly because that's pretty much the name of – that's basically what three-on-three three is. Uh, yeah, just just go for it. Go for the, go for the throat. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple other things you can think about, too. One – like not that the wings are gonna need to care about this, but tiebreakers, right? Shootout win is yeah, not worth the same as winning in the overtime. But an overtime loss is the same as a shootout loss. You still got one point. Um, so you know, if there ever was a situation where tiebreaker points were needed, you want that ROW, but you don't want the shootout win. Um, I don't know. The whole article itself was just a little bit interesting. I don't know why you only restricted it to two years. They've been doing three on three overtime for three years, so. Uh, in 2015, 2016, the Wings actually scored seven times and gave up six. So they were better then. I think he's just cherry-picking a little bit with that. Um, 
And then the other reason not to play a shootout is shootout success is random. Like the Wings were five and one last year, nine and zero the year before. But before that, the last time they had a winning record was 2011-2012. So, yeah, I don't see that as a guarantee to play for that anyways. No team should ever play for a shootout. And Travis Joe's cherry picking. He probably does it with a knife and a fork too, because he's yep. <laughs> all his food stuff is weird. Yeah, I, it's just if you're going to right. analyze three on three over time, why don't you quit everything? So. Yeah. Rhode Island Red two asks about uh, Zetterberg and which hurts more, the loss of Z scoring or the loss of his leadership? Scoring. Hmm. Do you guys, well, do, does everybody remember what, what he was like when he was at his stride as a scorer? Well, sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, scorer. are we talking about right now? Oh, yeah, okay. I yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, I was looking at it like, yeah, no, no, I was looking at it like right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question because, honestly, Zetterberg is still a really consistent and good player that puts up offense. Um, but he's he's a quiet leader too. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and isolate it down to one instance that will make my decision for me. And, uh, it will be that time that he gave Thomas Tatar a hug when he scored a goal uh, after his dad died. So I guess yeah, I'd necessarily oh, yeah. right now most. Well, to tie this into Rhode Island Red's follow-up question, I'm going to skip down to ENSRW's Are We a Bottom 5 Team Without Zetterberg? Well, we were a bottom 5 team this year. Yeah, I think we were, so. we were technically tied for fifth worst. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, yeah. Okay, so unless, you, get, unless the... you get a rookie that comes in and tears it up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so who's the... Who's the scapegoat in that scenario? Holland, Blashill, a veteran player like Nielsen, or a youngster like Athanasiu or Mantha? Mantha. If either Mantha. youngster comes short of the team's expectations. Well, who do the fans scapegoat? Because I don't. The obviously oh, okay. Holland is scapegoating himself. <laughs> why? Why shouldn't there be a scapegoat? Like I feel like if if my team all of a sudden didn't have Henrik Zetterberg. I'm not expecting them to be better. Like even if, even with the trade off here, like I don't know intuitively why I would expect them to be better. So I don't know why I'm scapegoating anybody. Yeah. Because we have to. You have to have a scapegoat. <laughs> there has to be a ball That's a part of being a fan. All right, uh, MTU Moose wants to know the thoughts about uh, eliminating hitting, uh, given uh, Eric Lindros says that basically that, that that's what they should do. What is everyone's thoughts on the proposal to eliminate hitting but not contact at the men's game? Would it open it up to more skilled play, or would it grind down to just board battles and constant interference penalties? I have Moose no idea first. how you're – I will. I have. I mean, as a person who is an NFL fan, uh, if you are an NFL fan and listening to this, you already know if you've been watching preseason what the NFL is trying to do. And while I applaud the effort, it is taking a serious uh, – it, it really is affecting the integrity of the game. 
Um, now, I guess if we're going to remove hitting, uh, we need to define what a hit is, I guess. Uh, is it something like, you know, is it, if, you know, who says that a player's running up or, you know, hit the player and it was deemed accidental or something like that? I don't think that's something that's going to happen. I just, I can't see it happening. Not in, not in modern contact sports. And it's not just hockey. I, think, I guess to play devil's advocate to that, you know, uh, it doesn't, the lack of hitting does not appear to have had a deleterious effect on women's hockey. Like, so yeah, I mean, for sure. scoring is right there at the NHL rate. I mean, and, you know, for those that have watched any of the NWHL or CWHL or any of the women's games, like if you watch, hell, even if you only watch the Olympics, you watch those USA Canada games, they're fantastic. Um, the problem is exactly what you said, Kyle, that I don't know if you could get anybody to wrap their head around what hockey looks like in the men's game without hitting, but I think that's only just because it's been there. I still think you can have a successful on-ice product, and I think the women's game shows us that. I just don't know if you will ever get that transition. It just seems too difficult. See, that's where I'm at. I, it's I. I can't wrap my head around the the law of unintended consequences, but I also can't get past like how much I enjoy the focus on puck movement with in the in the women's game. The, and the women's game does not lack physicality. You watch any, uh, I mean, USA right. versus yeah. Canada because those are the the highest skilled. Those are physical games. There is physical play in that it's just you are not allowed to hit people for the sake of hitting them. You are allowed to get in their way. There is body contact allowed, but but checking, hitting somebody on purpose just for the sake of hitting them isn't within the rules. Um, but trying to implement that in the men's game, uh, especially culturally and with how much... Uh, bullshit toxic masculinity is still out there in regards to oh just make them wear tutus too it's just I and with the way that the the players have been raised uh, one of our commentary I think it was Midland Winningston 74 brought this up in the the quick hits discussion about this today um, that you know it, it's an entire generation of, of kids that were basically raised on on Don Cherry's version of of the culture of of hockey hitting is this is what you're supposed to do you you're trying to get on the highlight reel with them and implementing the new rules where you you basically make it the the same as the women's rules you're going to get a shitload of penalties and it is going to be a slog and it is going to affect the the integrity of the game for a little while while you kind of like weed out that poisonous horse shit that is has crept into the game with with the the hitting just for the sake of, of, of hitting and I, I get it. a lot of people really like that stuff and it's like I'm just I'm not as into it like I I do and I I'll, I'll, I'll admit I still love a, a good cronwalling and it's time but honestly I would rather watch a, a, a Datsuk than a than a Scott Stevens hit so, For I sure. think the game would would be better, but I I don't know if if these things can be extricated. I think it's too too embedded. It pisses me off. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. Peter, what do you think? Okay. I mean, I I don't really yeah I don't really have too much to add. I mean, I yeah I mean I, I think you guys pretty much nailed it. I think uh, you know I'm all for. I'm all for anything that can lower the risk of concussions, you know, CTE, because obviously we've seen the damage that that can do. Um, but I think it's definitely a very valid point that um, it would be it would be hard to see how it would work logistically. Um, I'd definitely be interested in maybe trying something. You know, maybe if we could try it at a different different level outside the NHL and see see what it looks like. You know, I think like it might be one of those things where if you see it actually in action. Uh, where maybe you can make better decisions going forward about if it's possible. But yeah, I think I think you guys pretty much covered everything I was thinking. So yeah. And and one last one last part about this uh, it, for me uh, is if if you are going to actually make this 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 happen, if you're going to implement something like this, you can't just throw it into the NHL and say we're good to go. Uh, the NHL has an agree has partnership with DHL and other, you know, junior hockey organizations that need to start at a grassroots level, in my opinion. You can't just start at the NHL. Absolutely agreed. I would, okay. I would abolish hitting just stand there after hear a coach say finish their chat. <laughs> there we go, yeah. Uh, MKU on says uh, LTIR versus retirement. How would you modify the rules so longtime players can get a proper goodbye instead of being put on LTIR and having to keep up appearance? I would say eliminate uh, the recapture rule. Yep, it was bullshit to begin with. It got know. fixed in the last uh, yeah. the last lockout. So get rid of that, and that'll that'll solve that. And then the very yep. last question, and I kind of rushing through because we're like about nine minutes away from being cut off. Uh, Larkanic and Skywalker, what? Why are you sticking with this team even as we mm. bought them out? And are there any lines that could be crossed that would make you disown the wings and move on to your second favorite team? Things like signing a known shit face player, hiring a known shit face mm-hmm. coach or GM, <laughs> sucking for X amount of years. What is your breaking point with the Red Wings? <laughs> Kyle. Uh, well, uh, if the Red Wings came out tomorrow and announced that they signed Bob Avoynoff, I would very and I'm not even kidding, I probably would not watch. Uh, that, 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 something like that would be my breaking point. Uh, I can deal with watching a bad team play, uh, but I can't deal with watching a bad team play and make decisions that are unethical. Uh, they, they sacrifice uh, what is ethically right uh, to essentially compete uh, I don't want that, and I, you know that's not what I'm coming here for. Uh, so I, I think that would be my breaking point if it were to happen tomorrow. Uh, and there's like there's a there's a myriad of other reasons, but I'm not going to dive into it. I'll just boil <laughs> it down to that. Right on. I mean, honestly, yeah, Kyle said exactly what I was going to say. There's nothing that. In terms of the on-ice, like, hockey-related things that I think that they could do that would get me to stop being a fan, but if you started to breach ethics and what you should be doing with bringing a guy like Slava Voinov in, that would be an absolute deal-breaker for me, and I would not watch. And I would actually be very vocal in criticism of them um, if that if that ever became the case. Hmm. Peter? Yeah, so 
Yeah, first of all, I want to say that anybody that changes allegiances is a horrible person and a horrible fan. Uh, no, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely what you guys said, and uh, I mean, for you know, as somebody who has experience with this, um, I can tell you it took about twenty-five years of horrible mismanagement, and you know, <laughs> so uh, I think I think it would take a take a long time to get to that point for me uh, because e- even though I disagree with some of the decisions that have been made in terms of roster management and, you know, contracts and stuff like that, it pales in comparison to the destruction that Mike Milbury did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. I think on, on top of the, the, the kind of easy to break with ethical problem situation that I I dread because there's something is is always going. You, you just know your favorite team is just dodged. It's a, it's a Russian roulette, as is dodged a bullet every time something shitty comes out there. Because I, I, outside of that, like the concept of of just like being like sucking for so many years, that that doesn't bother me conceptually in in terms of that. If my team is just incompetent. Then I'll find a way to to enjoy to enjoy myself watching them just spin their tires like idiots, and yeah, we'll we'll just have a lot of fun. Just oh, you know, they're lovable losers at least. Um, I think my my breaking point outside the ethical thing is if they start running into the uh, this is very clearly the the dollar bill works era for Detroit and I still have my concern oh, that yeah. that's what's going to happen with with Chris Illich running the show uh that yeah I get that hockey is a business and that you know none of the, the owners are there to to make money and there are business decisions like I would have I would have jumped ship in in Ottawa before now because of the way Ottawa's run they're not, they're not trying to win, and the fact that they even got that close to the Stanley Cup still boggles my mind. But they are intentionally running a budget team to soak dollars out of that market, um, rather than being focused on actual hockey. And like, I guess it's it's not my place to necessarily blame them because you know, they're Melnick is the one who's financially responsible for all that that's it's not just a couple of dollars down the drain for him but as a fan yeah i i don't tune in i'm not a fan of the the business of the red wings i want them to do well because them doing well tends to translate to better things on the ice too but if i have to pick between hockey success and business success um fuck lose some money Illich. i don't give a shit hmm. yeah uh, I'd like that. Uh, I would only say that I would probably still watch the team, but I would not go to the game uh, games. But at the same time, I don't like, you know, it, it's a very different situation with uh, Detroit, I guess. Um, anyways, uh, that pretty much wraps up the, uh, the, the show for the most part. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of skip uh, hockey-related thoughts for the night because um, we're kind of strapped for time here. So uh, we'll just say that I will speak for everybody uh, in saying that we are extremely excited for uh, the season to start, and we are extremely 
uh, we are even more excited for the off season to end. So with that being said, uh, thanks for tuning in to another uh, episode of We Get Most on Radio. We will see you. We'll hear you. Nope, you won't hear me. Yep, we won't hear you. We'll talk to you some other time. <laughs> Winging it.